Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. Hey, listen, uh, he started uh, last week talking about marriage, and, uh, and I want to talk about family this week. We're talking about in a series about um, getting your house in order. We're kind of in the, in the family room, all right? And so we're going to talk about that. Before we get started, I kind of want to read some stuff I saw here um, about families. Evolution can't be true. Moms only have two arms. It's never easy being a mom. If it was, dads would do it. I'm just going to keep reading. You laugh, don't laugh. It's up to you, really. Uh, let's see. I'd like to be the ideal parent, but I'm too busy raising my kids. My mother's menu consisted of two things, take it or leave it. Mirror, mirror on the wall, I am my father after all. You see those commercials about the people turning their parents? All right, Uh, let's see. Um, A sweater is a garment worn by a child when a mom is feeling chilly. Children are a great comfort in your old age. They got to there faster. Um, You may not have candy for breakfast. Now finish your (laughs) Pop-Tart. When I was a boy, mom wore a mood ring. When she was happy, it turned blue. When she was in a bad mood, it left a red mark on my forehead. (laughs) Just just some thoughts about parenting. Today I'm going to give you three thoughts, just three words I want you to take with you. And, And for most of us, this will just be a reminder of what it takes to have a great family. We all want to have great families. Um, and uh, it's kind of a reminder, but I need, I need you to agree with me on something, that sometimes we have to hear hard truth in order to get where we need to go. Would you agree with that? Are you willing to hear some hard truth today? Yeah, some of you aren't. Well, I got bad news for you. The reality is, is that the scripture really does lay out some wonderful things, and what is interesting to me, and I always find it kind of, um, a, uh, just kind of Fun is not the right word. I, I, a fulfilling when modern science finds its way back to ancient wisdom and realizes it was true all along. And that's true about the family. We've gone full circle, and some people are still kind of spinning out on some ideas about family and its existence and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is that much of the social sciences uh, are now coming back to realize that family is not only a basic building unit for society, But there are some very important things about how family is done that has great implications for our society. And so it's not just a religious thing, although I believe family was created by God and is best lived out in relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that. So let me just give you some thoughts here. The three words are stay, play, and pray. Stay, play, and pray. It's simple, right? Stay together play together, and pray together. It's just really simple. Let me kind of read you a passage. It was in our devotional. By the way, if you're not doing our devotional during our 21-day fast, you can look at it online on our website. And one of our devos this week was from Psalm 127, 4 and 5. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, um, we have, uh, I think we've changed our mind about um, children, given the industrial age. Uh, before the industrial age, it would seem that most people were uh, lived on a farm, or uh, the, most of the culture was rural, ag- agrarian, where you want to have a lot of kids because you need a lot of help on the farm. And feeding them wasn't 
so difficult because you had the help on the farm to produce the food, to feed the kids, and to make things. When machinery came in, we all moved to the cities, and we went from eight kids because now we just had to feed eight kids. We wanted to only feed two kids. A family shrunk significantly uh, because of economic reasons, all right? Uh, I'm not sure that that is the best thing. If you, if you meet a family now, they got six or eight kids, you look at them like they're nuts, right? Like, what, what religious cult do you belong to, right? That's how we think about it. And yet, if we understood children, I, the way I believe Scripture teaches us, it might, and I'm not advocating for big families, so I kind of think it's a good idea. If we had to do it over again, I think, um, it depended if they turn out more like my son or my daughter. But anyway, um, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I think that we need to understand children not as an economic inconvenience, but as a blessing from God. And I think, I think as, we, as we begin to talk about families, the first thing is kids are incredible. And maybe we have allowed, and this is the modern world, all over the world, populations are changing because parents are not having children. And I wonder if maybe we're misunderstanding something here. It's just a thought. I'm not going to, you know... Uh, die on that hill, but I, I think it's something to think about. So let's talk about this first one, stay together. Here's what it says in Proverbs 22.6, turn up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This training up is kind of the chore of parents, and the best thing we can do for our children is what? Stay together. Now, I start on this path, and all of a sudden, people start tensing up, the knuckles get white, because we all know somebody's been divorced, maybe you've been divorced, maybe you wanted it, maybe you didn't want it, maybe you caused it, and you regret it. Here's what I want to say to you. If you've been through the pain of divorce, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened. I, 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 I am in no way making fun of anyone. Uh, anything we can do if you're a single parent to help, please let us know. We will pray for you. We have children's program, all this stuff that we want to help with, okay? So please don't hear me saying I don't like divorced people. That would include a good chunk of our congregation. That is not true. And, and many of our leaders, not true. So please hear that. But also hear this. Divorce, I understand for cases of abuse, ongoing adultery, abandonment. I believe that, that those things happen, and, and, and many times it can't be avoided. But beyond that, much of divorce can be avoided. And so if we want to hear the hard truth about our kids, we want great kids. We want to love our kids. We want them to be successful. Hear me say this. Do not get a divorce. Don't get a divorce. Don't talk about divorce. Don't entertain divorce. The number one thing is you can give your kids is God. We'll talk about that. But right next to that is a healthy marriage. That is extremely important. I just need to say it. So, well, I don't want to stay together just for the kids. No, go ahead, do it. Stay together just for the kids. And while you're at it, build a great marriage for the kids so they'll know what a good marriage looks like. It isn't stay together or have a bad marriage. No, it's stay together and have a good marriage with God's help. And, and I, yes, it's hard. It is really hard. I get it. I understand it. And yet I understand the impact. So here's the, that's, not the, that's not even the hard truth. Here's the hard truth. What's happening in society now, much of the sociologists, psychologists, are now realizing that so much of the dysfunction in our society comes from divorce. And by the way, just so if you're wondering, and you're a young parent or parent of young children, boomers are the ones who are most responsible for this. Millennials are making changes in the way they're parenting. They actually, their divorce rates are going down. 
uh, partly because they're not getting married as much. <laughs> but it doesn't account for all of it. Mostly it's because they saw what divorce did in their families and they don't want to do that to their children. And so I applaud them for that. Among millennials, they spend more time with their kids than any previous generation. I applaud that. I want to, I want to affirm that. Staying together is extremely important. Now, here's the hard part. What, what is being discovered now, and there is data everywhere, and you can do the research, and you will not find opposition research. You will not find Maybe somewhere in some corner, somebody writing in their mom's basement. But nobody is saying divorce is good for kids. Nobody, not secular, not religious, not anybody. Here are the statistics. And I've seen people, I've watched people hear these statistics. Well, that's not true. There's other explanations. I am telling you, go do the, go do the research and find out. I just want to read you this one particular set of research. And, and this is UK and the United States, very similar. And it is, isn't very much in any other survey. I just want to read this. This is how important having a mother and a father in the home is. Um, 63% of youth suicides are from a single-parent family. 90% of homeless and runaway children, single-parent family. 85% of children with behavioral disorders, single-parent family. 80% of rapists who have anger problems, single-parent family. 71% high school dropouts, single-parent family. 80% of youth incarcerated today, single-parent family. Again, I'm not here. If you're a single parent, I am not here to cause you harm or to, to in any way beat you up. Please just know the statistics tell you you've got a serious challenge and you need some help. We want to help. Get other people in your, in your network to help you support that child. But the reality is there is no question, there's no debate that single parenting is not as good as having a mother and father in the home. So for those of you who are married and have children or are married and are going to have children or are not married, but someday I'd like to be married and have children or could even think about the possibility, I want you to hear this. Be married, stay married, raise those kids together. It is powerful. I can't tell you how many people come to me after the last two services said, oh man, people my age, which is like old, saying, oh man, my parents got divorced when I was such a, and my life fell apart. Absolutely fell apart. So for the sake of the children, stay together. Make the marriage work, whatever you've got to do. I understand they're difficult things and, and oh, mine's different. Maybe. Or maybe with God's help, you could make it work. And I know it can be difficult. I know lots of people right now contemplating divorce. And yet, I'm not giving up. I think God has a better plan and a better way. So the most important thing you could do is stay together. Build a marriage. Make it good. And, 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 you know, and I, I read one woman said, well, I'm a really good mom. It's not a great wife. The best thing you could do is model for your kids what a great marriage looks like. Let me, let me just say this. You can be uh, maybe a great mom and not a great wife. But I'll tell you what, if you're a great wife, you'll also be a great mom. And if you're a great husband, you'll also be a great dad. And by the way, guys, being a great husband, being a great dad, wonderful fringe benefits. I just want to mention that. You okay? Okay. Just some incentive for the guys. Another thing. Not only do we need to model for our children what strong marriage looks like, we need to let our children know that that relationship is, is even more important than our parenting. If you make the kids the center of your relationship, you don't really have a marriage. 
But what the kids need is to see a marriage. Cody was telling me a funny story about last week. His kid said something. He said, no, no, mom. So, and, and one of the kids, oh, so mom's more important than us? And he looked at him and went, yes. No, dad, really? You think mom's more important? Yeah. Mom's more important. Love you guys, but mom's more important. And they were like, oh. But there's a safety in that. There's a security in that. There's an understanding, a priority that they need. God. He said to them, there's God, then there's your mom, and then you guys. But mom's here. By the way, if, if you want to help teach your kids that, drop the kids off at grandma's house and tell them that you're going away for a weekend, just the two of you. But I want to tell grandma first, but grandmas are good. Even, <laughs> even if you don't, it's okay. She'll take them in. Um, that's a priority. The kids need to understand that. There's a security in that. By the way, that also helps them when they try to get in and wiggle their way between the two of you to get one of you to say something the other one didn't say and get permission for something. You, oh no, did you forget? Mom's more important. Mom, mom we're, to, we're a united front on this deal. You can't get in, in between us, right? That marriage has got to be the priority. Now, you need to stay so that they will go. Now, the passage I read for you a moment ago... <laughs> It's the point of parenting. Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go. We always talk about the train up or he should. It's the go part. That's what parenting is. It's helping them be prepared to go. We've lost that in the last couple of generations, it feels like. The reality is you and mom are, by the way, that's why marriage is harder than parenting. Because parenting only lasts 18 to 35 years, depending on how soon you get them to go. <laughs> Marriage is going to last forever. I mean, it's going on until they die. Here's the deal. Um, in Genesis 2, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. In the King James, it says, leave their father and cleave to their wife. The leave and cleave passage. Your whole job is to get your kids to leave. They choose to cleave, that's up to them, but get them to leave. You gotta grow them up so that when they are ready, they can launch, they can become a, a fruitful member of, of society and the kingdom and, and a productive member. It, that's your job. That's what you're to do together. And oftentimes we kind of get confused about this, about the whole going thing. Um, so, uh, but here's the thing. We have come to believe some false things, I think, about children. We've come to believe that the highest aspiration we can have for the children is that they would be happy. And as a result, we've produced a kind of children in the most recent years that that's the wrong aspiration. So, and then you guys, we really want our kids to be safe. Do you remember the old, um, the old uh, phrase, helicopter parents? You know, they're hovering around. Well, there's a new phrase. I just learned this, that psychologists use now, and it's called bulldozer parents. If the old helicopters kind of kept an eye and watched, the bulldozers go ahead and just clear everything out of the way. Bulldozer parenting. And what this, what this does is it tries to ensure that our kids are safe and they are comfortable and they never have discomfort at any point. And you know what this produces? Pansies. It does. So, so while I admire the millennials for more time, more interest, I just need to warn you about something. Your parents letting you eat dirt, or as mine did, <laughs> I, it might have been a better thing. 
than the bubble wrap you're putting your kids in. So there's this guy. It's called, it's called the, um, his name is Jonathan Haidt. Uh, it's the um, Coddling of the American Mind. Anybody read that book? And so this guy's not a Christian, not a conservative. He's a professor in psychology um, and, or sociology, I can't remember. And, um, and he's written this book. And he gives an alternate explanation for a phenomenon we began to see a few years ago. And, and if you'll just hang with me here, don't get all offended. It, it, it doesn't help. So um, he says, so we started hearing things on college campuses happening. Things like microaggression. Things like trigger warning. Things like safe spaces. And me, being a boomer and just assuming I know everything, um, said, oh, it's those, it's those leftover hippie professors from the 60s that are inculcating these kids with craziness. I'm, just, I'm an old man. I can say this stuff. This guy's suggesting that it is that generation of children who are so coddled and the parents have removed any discomfort that when they got to university and heard things they didn't know and didn't agree with, which is kind of the point of a liberal education in our Western society, they were freaked out. They were triggered. They considered it not a different idea, but a microaggression. I got news for you. My brother used to microaggress against me before breakfast. And this professor, again, not, not a conservative, not a Christian, not any of those things, just someone looking at why we can't have discourse in our society because we get so offended so easily that we can't talk about a subject without taking it personally because we were never forced as children, this generation I'm talking about, never forces children to resolve a conflict. They were taught to when somebody said something hurt them, go tell an adult. I remember growing up, going to my mom. My brother hit me. Quit tattling and you guys work it out. You guys don't want me to come work it out. You're not going to like my solution. You guys better work it out. And when your dad gets home, you really don't want him to work it out. Right? There was instruction, go work it out. What are we told now? If you have a disagreement with someone in the playground, go tell an adult. We have to have an adult present. And it has caused us to not be able to, this generation, to not be able to resolve conflict, much less have a, a conversation about something we disagree about. We have to be offended. You're saying, I don't know if I believe, I don't know if I believe all this stuff, but I find it really interesting. Really interesting. Parents, this is why we need God. Because we don't want to not care and not protect, but we can't overprotect. We need God to guide us. What is the appropriate way to raise my children? Because your instincts may or may not be right. There's a pretty good chance you're raising your children either according to the way your parents lived or in reaction to the way your parents raised you. Right? And your parents weren't perfect, so you need guidance there. And they weren't all wrong, probably, so you kind of need some guidance that we need God. It is a hard thing to do, to know how to parent children. And yet God says it's one of the best things we can do. And he's willing to help us. And so, we need to stay together in order to get them ready to go. Not only do you not want to build, so this is an interesting phrase this guy uses. Prepare your children for the road, not prepare the road for your children. In other words, you can't go throughout their life clearing out obstacles. Get them ready to climb over rocks, to wade through some deep stuff. Whatever they've got to do, that's a part of what we have to do to train them <coughs> to be able to go. A couple other things, just real quick thoughts. Don't, don't try to live your dreams to your children. Sorry, guys, your kid's not playing in the NBA. <laughs> For the same reason you're not playing in the NBA. You're short. 
you're slow and you can't jump. <laughs> Get over it. One of the things that, that happens is that when a parent tries to live out their dreams through their children is it shames the children to believe that they are loved only when they're performing well, which as an adult turns into narcissism and is one of the most dysfunctional things and it is rampant in our society. Please don't contribute to that. Also, don't be the cool parent. We don't need cool parents. Children don't need cool parents. Remember the point of a child is to train them. That means putting boundaries. That means putting guidelines. They're going to be like bumper cars their whole lives. They're going to run up against it. They're going to bang against it. And, but that's okay. You stay solid because that's what teaches them what's important. If you're the cool parent, you're not going to have any boundaries. You're just going to let them go wherever they want. And the children will end up hating you in addition to be complete wrecks themselves. Don't be the cool. If somebody tells you you're a cool parent, be embarrassed. It's, it's in the parent handbook. No cool parents allowed. Don't do it, right? Because I used to tell my kids, I've got lots of friends. I don't need more friends. I've only got two kids. I'm going to be a parent. You, I don't care if you like me, don't like me today, tomorrow, someday you'll love me because I'm doing the right thing for you. And if I put the hard work in now as a parent, someday we'll be friends. <laughs> someday when you've grown up, we'll become friends because I've got you on the right path to becoming who God wants you to be. It's okay. And teenagers, well, you're not. I'm a parent. I'm not supposed to be. It's okay. Um, and by the way, uh, homes are not democracies. Homes are a benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> There's a king and a queen, and they rule. And sometimes, because mommy said so, is the right answer. I mean, I appreciate when you can give reasons, but sometimes if the kid's not getting it or they're not older, then, yeah, you're going to have to trust me on this one. That's the way it is. It's just the way it is. I made the call. That's how it's going to be. Deal with it. It'll be okay. It'll teach them respect for authority, which we need in society. Now, if you can explain things, I mean, it's all fine, but we don't vote on things. In fact, we're not going to vote. We're not going to vote what time you go to bed. We're not going to vote what we have for dinner. No, no, no. This is how it is. So here's, and here's the way to look at that. You, child, are a gift to me. And God said that I am the one who has the ability, the gifts, and the opportunity to input into your, to guide you, to steward you, to care for you. And I'm going to do what I think God is, says is best. He didn't tell you to raise yourself. He gave you to me. And I will take that seriously because I have a responsibility. And if I abdicate that responsibility, then I am not doing what God's called me to do. So stay together. Second one is play together. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full. So I was thinking about this. I, I think this is true. I was thinking through, you know, raising kids and not grandkids. And I don't think there should ever be a day where you can't look at your kid and just be grateful. I don't think there's ever a day. Now, yes, they're inconvenient at times. I get it. Poopy diapers at two in the morning, not fun. I get it. But the reality is, I don't think there's a day when you shouldn't look at your kids and be grateful. That you just look at their little face, little dirty, smudgy hands, and you just look at them and go, thank you, Jesus. To this day, I thank God every day for one of my kids. <laughs> for both of my kids. And for all of my grandkids. And I name them by name. And I thank God for specific things about them. Because I want to live in, in, in life 
with an attitude of gratitude, but specifically relationally, I want to always be grateful. I want to always look at them with gratitude. Kids are a blessing. And when I think about play, I want us to enjoy our children and our grandchildren. I want us to understand that they are gifts. By the way, Ephesians 6, this will not be a problem if that's the attitude you have. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Nobody exasperates the people they're so grateful for. They cherish them. We are to cherish them. So enjoy your children. Teach them to be enjoyable, by the way. Some kids aren't very enjoyable because they're just plain out of control. Mom and dad, step up. Let this kid have an opportunity to succeed relationally by teaching them what they need to know. Here's what it says in Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on earth. Teach them submission to authority. Establish clear, consistent, predetermined boundaries. Present a united front as husband and wife. Make your home an enjoyable place. Enjoy your kids. Teach them to be enjoyable. And then make your home an enjoyable place. It should be the safest place they will ever know. If your home is not safe for your children, you are not honoring God and you're not doing them any favors. Make it the safest place, not just physically, spiritually, relationally, intentionally, consistently, a place to make memories and review those memories and and to talk about those memories and to tell those stories It is the foundation for wherever they will go in life. Those things will guide them. It is the memories, it is the stories that cement the values that you're trying to teach them. Play, enjoy them. And by the way, having a a family mission statement, no, don't sit down and do mission, vision, and values, okay? But as you, as the parent, talk about things, one of the phrases I'll give you is, you know, as a family, we're like this. We, we are honest. We are fun. We're respectful. And then when they violate, they're saying, do you remember, remember the reason you're getting grounded is because remember we talked about what kind of family we were going to be and we weren't being that kind of family. And you keep referring back to that and pretty soon they just assume that that's what family is supposed to look like. And when they violate it, they know they violated it because that's what we've agreed to a family should look like. And when I mean agreed to, it means you lay it out and they agree to it. Okay? And that's just a valuable thing to have. Um, so play together. Enjoy your family. There shouldn't be a day in your life that you don't enjoy your family as a gift from God. And then lastly, pray together. In uh, Deuteronomy 6, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. There's two parts to this. One is to impress. Your kids will learn much more from who you are than what you say. The greatest thing you can do for your kids is be a Christian. The greatest thing you can do is have a relationship with Jesus and live it out. Worst thing you can do is say you belong to Jesus and live differently. That's called hypocrisy. Kids pick up on it immediately and they will reject both the hypocrite and the one the hypocrite says they're serving. The best thing you can do is know God. And with this help, live it out. You don't need to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. Live it out. And they will watch you in your struggles. They will watch you in your attempts to live with integrity and honestly and even coming to them and asking for forgiveness when you mess up. They will see that and they will honor that. They will aspire to that. That's how you impress that on a child. And then you talk to them 
Every opportunity is a teaching opportunity. Every opportunity driving the car is a teaching opportunity. Every catastrophe you see is a teaching opportunity. Talk about it at different times. And by the way, one of the kids, one of the things that is weird about kids today is they're probably smarter than you in this sense. They have this. Now, some of you are millennials, you had this too. Sorry, maybe age 10 or 12. They've had this their whole lives. They don't need information. They can get information quicker than you can. Me, I want to learn something my colorful friend I think knows about it. Then they just go right here and they've got it before you can even finish the conversation. But here's what they don't have. They have lots of information, but they don't have wisdom. Wisdom is information combined with experience, combined with, with God's authority, divine revelation, the Holy Spirit. What you have is experience and you have the Holy Spirit. Information isn't going to fix what's going on in their life. It's not going to help them resolve conflict. It's not going to help them deal with difficult issues. It's not going to do all that. What we'll do, that is wisdom. What we're lacking in the world right now is not information. We've got more information we want to do with. The problem is we don't know if any of it's true or not. What we lack is wisdom. One of our goals as parents, and especially grandparents, is to bring to the table wisdom. Wisdom, things hard learned through experience and trusting God. So that when you say, you say with authority, it's going to be okay. Not some flippant little cliche. It's going to be okay. Not because I say it's good, because God's in control. God's in charge of my life. God's in charge of our family. We can trust him with the outcomes. We bring wisdom to the table. If there's something lacking in the world today, it is wisdom. We must aspire to to wisdom. Let me uh, just finish with this. We all want our kids to be happy. We want our kids to be safe. Survey after survey, the number one thing parents want is for their kids to be happy. I want my kids, my grandkids, to be saved. I want them to have a relationship with their creator through Jesus Christ. That's what I want. That's what we need to aspire to most. If your kid doesn't get the dream job or, the, or get into the dream university or do whatever it is you're hoping for, but knows Jesus, that's the most powerful thing. That's the most wonderful thing. And even if your child decides they don't want to know Jesus anymore, they'll never forget what you taught them and what you modeled for them about Jesus. Know Jesus and know why you're on this planet. See, I would think purpose and meaning is much more important than happiness. Happiness comes and goes with circumstances, with whatever's happening in the world. It it can come and go. But if I know Jesus, I know what the outcome is. And if I know Jesus, I can learn. I can find out why he put me on this planet. We were all put on this planet for a reason. And if our kids understand that, they begin to search out, figure out what that reason is. Why am I good at certain things? Why do I really get upset when I see certain things? Why? Because God put you here for a reason. Know Jesus, know why you're here, and your life will be fulfilling. You'll never have to doubt about your kids' lives. They will know why they're here. Eventually, they'll know specifically why. I believe that. That's what we need to aspire to for our kids, not just happiness. Because it's, it's, it's fleeting. It's momentary. It's not substantial. We want something that lasts forever. So I have to tell you, I care about the family. I am passionate about the family. If I've offended you in some way, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. But I'm passionate about the family. Because I believe that God ordained the family to raise children, to feel secure, to feel loved, to be known and to know. And that God calls us his family when we come to believe in him. I believe family is also the basic building unit of society. And if the family goes away, the society will self-destruct. 
And I fear that the Western world is on the cusp of that. And so today, I take very serious this issue of family. Not just because of those big philosophical ideas, but because of the individual impact I've seen families have on people. Today, Tracy has agreed to tell us her story and her family impact on her challenges in life. Watch this. Hi, I am Tracy Sturm, and I am um, a wife, and I'm a mom. I'm a business owner. I own a real estate company in Long Beach, and um, I just love Jesus with all my heart. He has changed my life. My mom and dad brought me to church from the time I was born, and so I grew up, and our church family was our extended family, and so everything that we did revolved around um, me getting to know Jesus. and. Uh, doing VBS and uh, doing little uh, musicals and, and things with the kids program all the way growing up. When I was 10, I made the decision to be uh, baptized after I had asked Jesus into my heart. And by the time I was 11, I had had um, some big events happen in my life. And so one of those was that my um, granny was murdered in her apartment. And that was right down the street from the church that we attended. I don't remember all the details at the time, of course, but um, we did end up moving churches. And um, so at that age, I was kind of struggling. Also at that time, um, by the time I was 11, I had been sexually molested by an extended family member and just had a lot of um, heartbreak, you know? And a lot of uh, counseling wasn't a thing, wasn't a popular thing anyways, that anybody was, it wasn't readily available like it is now. And so there was really nowhere to go with that. Um, we, you know, I had my youth leaders, I had uh, the pastor, but there was a lot of emotion that just stayed bottled up that I had to find other ways. I searched lots of ways um, to remedy those feelings and emotions. I began um, becoming an addict at, at that age. And at that age, I wasn't interested in drugs and alcohol and things like that, but I used food. And so food was my comfort. And um, I have vivid memories of sitting in the corner of you know my grandparents' house and eating Oreo cookies because my sadness was so overwhelming that that's all I could do. And so it wasn't until after I graduated high school, I thought, well, God has let me down because all of X, Y, and Z has happened. And if God really loved me, that wouldn't have happened. And so I was listening to the lies that Satan was telling me to try to keep me in that place. And so that's when I would start uh, drinking and I started abusing other things and doing dabbling in drugs and um, cigarettes and, and you know all that goes with that. I uh, went from high school to college and then um, I got married for the first time. I carried all of that with me into that first marriage and did not participate in church, did not uh, continue to grow my relationship with the Lord. As a matter of fact, I would probably say I was, I would hide it. Um, you know, my husband at the time knew that um, I was a Christian. That's what I called myself, although my life would not have reflected that whatsoever. My, um, my breaking point probably came on uh, the end of 2005, and my first husband left me and it was devastating. It, it actually was the first time that I would say that I hit rock bottom, um, but my drinking continued, everything to numb myself continued um, until New Year's Eve of 2005. 
and my sister invited me to go to Knott's Berry Farm with Shay and her boys, um, who were young teenagers at the time, and Knott's used to do this jubilation night. And so there was a, a young Christian artist named Matthew West, who now is big time, but he performed that night. And so as this artist was singing and I had my eyes closed, I could literally just feel as the tears were streaming down my face, I still feel it today. The Holy Spirit just coming. And, you know, I just felt God wrap his arms around me and tell me I was home. And it was a long road to get there. Um, and it, it, it hasn't been an easy road since, but it's been walking with the Lord. And so my focus then became on, um, you know, serving the Lord, whatever that looked like. And I had no idea what he was going to bring my way, but I had um, humbled myself um, and I had made a decision that I didn't want to go back to the past, that I didn't want it to control me. I didn't want it to manipulate me anymore. I asked my folks, uh, if I could come to church with them, and I think that made their hearts very happy. At that time, the pastors there were um, our old pastors from, from growing up in Lakewood. And so that also felt like going home. And so I had a great foundation and, and spiritual support system in coming back to the Lord. They have held my hand and walked me through, you know, those very, very dark times. And so naturally, I think for any parent um, to know that their prayers are being answered because my coming back to the Lord is because they prayed every day for that to happen. Like there's no doubt. Both of them um, say to me, you know, just how much they love that um, I chose to turn my life around. And they, they see the blessing, they see more grandchildren and you know things that they maybe thought they never would have had for me because of the choices that I was making. But um, I never felt judged by them, ever. Um, they loved me consistently. And the grace they showed me and the forgiveness that they gave me was just right in line with what the Bible says, you know? And so if my mom and dad could do that, you know, God definitely has got to be the real deal. I am so grateful that God never left me. I'm so grateful that I'm not um, on the street. And I'm so grateful that I'm not in a place that um, Satan was leading me. And so um, I was able to, when I turned my life back over to the Lord, you know, God brought Richard into my life and I was able to um, realize what true love truly was and what God meant for me to have from the beginning. And so now we are, and May will be married uh, 16 years. We have uh, a son, Zachary, who is 14 and, and loves the Lord, both of my kids do. I love watching them getting to experience the joy that my parents got to experience watching me grow up. It broke my parents' heart to see me walking away from the Lord. Um, they had invested so much spiritually and um, Jesus was always the foundation of our home. And so I didn't find out until much later just how much it had hurt them. But I had a conversation with my mom years later, um, even after I think I had my son Zachary. And I asked her how she was able to cope when I would leave the house and she wouldn't know where I was. And I wouldn't come home until you know two in the morning and whatnot. And she said that she got to a point that she had to surrender me back to the Lord. What my mom said will never leave me. That 
God loves me more than she does. And so God loves my children more than I do. And I look at them because they are a gift, that they belong to God. And so I have to trust his plan for their lives and pray over them. Um, and I will just say one of the things that we start um, every day, most days I should say, um, is before we leave the house, we, the four of us pray together. Um, a simple prayer, but just, you know, I just thank God for them and ask for that protection over them. And I think that makes a huge, huge difference in the dynamic of our family. I would say that my relationship with Jesus is just one of gratitude. Um, you will hardly ever see me worshiping without tears streaming down my cheeks because Jesus changes everything and he has changed my life and continues to. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Let's stand together. I just want to say a prayer for families. Today, if you're struggling, know that God cares. He's not condemning you. He's not judging you. He's offering to help you. And if you're a new family and uh, you're dealing with the struggles, you'll make it. If you trust God, you'll be all right. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. I pray for families that are struggling, for marriages that are struggling, for people that are feeling pain, even in this moment because their family of origins was dysfunctional. Lord God, I pray that now that we are in your family, the healing would overcome whatever dysfunction we experience, that you would lead us through the healing process, the, the mending process, the, the reparenting process even that some of us may need. Lord, for those who are struggling in their marriages, I pray that they would not receive a lie, they would not believe a lie, that they can't make it, but they would believe your word, they would believe your power, they would believe your promises, that you are here to bring us together, Lord God. For those who have experienced the pain of divorce, I pray that you would heal our heart, give them a hope for the future, even as Tracy talked about. And Lord, for our kids, we love them, but we know that you love them more. Please protect them. Please keep them safe. Please grow them. Please give us wisdom and discernment as we do our best with your help. And Lord, thank you for this whole idea of family and letting us be a part of your family. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. See you next week. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.